Turn your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 42. See an amazing story of when the church began after God poured out his spirit and said, and they continued steadfastly. That's the word to underline. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone had need. So continuing daily, in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with, God, with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. A powerful picture of, of first century Christianity, how it began uh, the goal of every generation since is to get back to the book of Acts. We love what we read here. I mean, this is the high watermark. This is what, what every heart craves. I don't know anyone who isn't craving this kind of involvement, that they want to be part of something. And that's why there's service clubs. And that's why there's uh, all kinds of uh, different things in our culture and society that you can join and be part of. But they were committed steadfastly to something, uh, to teaching. They wanted to be taught. They wanted teaching. And they said, we're going to go for it. They wanted fellowship. And it's the word koinia that's used here. And people are hungry for koinia. They will, they will join all kinds of things to have something in common, something uh, that they can relate to with other people. It's, it's, in our, it's in our hearts to have koinia. And of course, uh, they're committed to praying. Um, we're not as committed these days here. I mean, if we called for a prayer meeting this week and uh, we're actually low on prayer these days, very few people would show up. We get the same handful of people who come all the time, and, and it's disappointing, so it's kind of hard to do it. But these people were committed to praying, committed to these prayer meetings. The other thing we read here is they're committed to small groups. They met in temple uh, in Solomon's Court, very, very big building, and so they could sit on the floor among these big colonnades. And, uh, but then they would go to the house of someone, a believer, and uh, have a small group meeting. There's something about it that the, the big temple meeting couldn't meet. <clears throat> it touched the need that the big temple meeting couldn't meet. There's, there's things that happen. There's a dynamic that happens in small groups that we can't reproduce in this meeting. And so we're just sticklers. We're saying if you really want to grow, if you want to experience something more, you have to get in a small group. You have to be part of a small group. You have to be committed. Being committed means that that's your priority. You get there. You make everything happen to get there. And uh, the other thing they did that we read here is they gave. Uh, no one had to 
tell them to do this. This wasn't top-down kind of um, a dictator. Peter, no one got up there and said, hey, we're all going to give. <coughs> Excuse me. Sell your stuff, and we want you all to make sure everyone, all their needs are met. You can't legislate this kind of giving. It's organic. It's, it's, it's flowing out of, out of something where God poured in so much grace that they wanted to give. They wanted to live this way. How many of you interested in being part of a church like that? I mean, that's an amazing period of grace that they, they got to experience that. I want to talk about commitment today. Uh, we lead people into commitment uh, uh, all the time. The way we do it, it often starts with, for better, for worse. <laughs> Richer or poorer. Sickness and unhealth. Which says, I'm deciding now to commit to something, even though I know life happens, I know things, things will come our way, but I've decided. I've decided that I'm sticking with this thing. There's something, there's something in our culture that has been lost uh, in the, the past couple generations where the, their level of commitment, their level of sticking to something just isn't the same as previous generations or as, as, as what they really need. What they really need is they need to get into the deeper end of things. And that really only begins with commitment. You only need to be committed. Commitment's only required, it seems like, when things do go wrong. Friendships do fail. People do things that are offensive. Then that's when you, that's when you need to really show commitment, really be steadfast. Today, commitment has a very limited shelf life. COVID, uh, one of the things that, about COVID that, that uh, it revealed was the, the, the level of commitment for a lot of Christians. Do you realize there are churches that are still not open? There are, there are churches that are lost, that, uh, that had hundreds of people attending, they built an audience, and, and they lost it. And when COVID hit, they, they've not gained it back. They've not gotten it back. I think it's easy to build an audience. It's very different to build a fellowship, to build community, or something that you really want to be committed to. And uh, <clears throat> there's just no way. This list that we read in Acts 2, you can't get that at home alone. It's just not possible. One of the reasons we just said no to the, the, the lockdown, we opted out very early, uh, earlier than most people, is we just knew there's no way we can grow as a church. There's no way we can grow uh, wholesome, happy families uh, by being home alone. It's just not possible. We need each other. We need to be committed to something. And uh, uh, I think it was a, a, a test that really revealed a, a consumer mentality that's in the church. It's not just in society, it's in our church. I think, I think God calls people to a church. I think, I think God actually leads people to a church. And if he leads you to a church, I think that's, that's where you should be committed. And you stay there, even though there's dry times, even though there's times when there's difficulties, you stay with it until he leads you out. So your commitment really is, is to the Lord first and then to the people that you're with. It really has to be that way. You know, there's a thing called membership, 
And uh, our church doesn't have membership. We've never, from the very beginning, we decided to pass on that. Uh, you've never been given an application for membership uh, that you sign. Uh, I know of churches that also have a, um, an actual contract that you sign that you're going to be there. Um, I call it a covenant, but it's really a contract. You actually sign, and you're held to that. Some of us come from church backgrounds where membership meant ownership. It meant you weren't allowed to go anywhere else, and you had to abide by the rules or be kicked out of the club, be kicked out in front of everyone and not be allowed to have any fellowship or relationships with the people in that. That's a man-made thing. There's nothing, not one verse in the Bible. I mean, we're members of the body of Christ in, in the most general sense, but that concept of local church membership isn't in the Bible. That's a man-made thing to extract commitment from people, to make people committed. And it got twisted. Because it was man-made, it became something where we hold you, hold something over your head and tell you what you will do, and you have to do it or else you lose your membership. And they actually attach to that that uh, it'll also keep you from going to heaven. Just a little added leverage. We don't have membership here. We don't vote. We don't, we don't have any of that kind of thing here. The other thing you'll notice that, that we decided a long time ago when we began, we decided not to pass offering plates under your nose to make sure that you give. Uh, I can't remember the last time I've stood in front of you other than an event like camp meeting. As a church, I can't remember the last time I've stood in front of you and, 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 and took up an offering. We just don't do it very much. Uh, yet at the same time, nobody owns this building. There's not one person who owns this building. There's no one person's name on the deed. It's actually owned by those who are committed. Those who are here, they clean it, they pay for it, they make sure the AC is paid for, they make sure that the heat is on in the wintertime that they, they like a nice plowed driveway, and so someone has to pay for that. Well, the, what we rely on is those who are committed, they just give. And God come up with this concept that is so profound that no one has been able to come up with a better idea. The idea is called tithing. What tithing is is this, is that everybody gives according to how God has prospered them, and they give in a disciplined way. Whether they're there that Sunday or not, their tithe still happens. And what the Lord required is, is if everyone gives a little amount and it's shared in common and everyone gets the benefit of it, so he created a tabernacle, he created a temple, and, and that was funded out of the tithes. The priests, in our case, the pastors, their livelihood was, was covered so that they can give themselves to ministry, <clears throat> give themselves to teaching, and give themselves to prayer, give themselves to being available for counseling. <clears throat> it's a brilliant idea. I can't think of a better idea. I can't think of another way to make this thing work. Some churches I know actually will sit down, they'll come to your house, they'll sit down with you, and they say, here's how much money you make every year. Here's how much we want of that every year. Here's what we, we should expect from you. And they give you a little box with envelopes in it, and it's pre-decided by somebody else. I don't want to be part of a church like that. And so I think the way to do it is it's a little risky. 
uh, Nelson and I, we've, we both independently have been listening to some pastors who just realized that during COVID, they had, they had no money. People just stopped giving. And uh, uh, I just was on a Zoom call where that, they were talking about that. And so they were trying to finagle different ways to get, the, get money to be able to pay for different kinds of things. And uh, I, I like our way better, that we, we trust the Lord with it. We trust that uh, people are committed here and that it will happen. What I'd like to see is I'd like to see everybody committed. I'd like to see more people committed. I think there's something where you attend something and there's a level of benefit from attending. Then there's a level of commitment, which is greater, which is higher, where that changes everything. It changes how you're involved. It changes in sense of ownership that this becomes your building, becomes part of what, what you're involved with. I think God calls you to a people. He calls you to a place. And, and we stay. Our commitment is, Lord, unless you tell me to leave, I'm staying. And our commitment's to him, uh, not to an organization. Are you committed? Are you a committed kind of person? Are you committed to friendships, even when they go south, even when they're not firing on all their cylinders? Are you committed to whatever you sign up for? Uh, I think we need to get this into our kids' heart. They get on a baseball team or, or something, and they don't like it. They don't like the coach, or they, they don't like losing, or they don't like... I think, I think there's something where we train our kids to stay with it. I think they, they, they grow differently. They mature differently. I think, I think there's a, a level of steadfastness or commitment that comes from the Lord. And the way to tap into becoming a committed person is to becoming more like him. He's committed. I'll tell you, he really is. I mean, that's his name. That's his nature. Here's what it says about the Lord in terms of commitment, if you want to become like him. Listen to this. This is, a, this is Paul writing to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, being confident of this, he that began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He's a carpenter by nature. He's a farmer by nature. I mean, talk about commitment. Those two jobs require a lot of commitment. You can't be a fair-weather farmer. God is, is committed. He's, he started something in you. He started to build something. He started to grow you. You know what? Paul said, don't worry about it. He will not quit. He's not going to quit. It's not going to stop on his end. Paul had confidence that God would continue to grow these Christians until the very last day when there is no more days. A day marks time that from this point on there's no more days. It's called the day of Jesus Christ. And he will not quit until that time comes. I love that about him. There's times the enemy suggests in my head, that God's through, that he's done, he's not going to continue. It's promises like this. It's promises like Psalm 138, verse 8, says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hand. God will perfect that which, he, which pertains to you. It means he'll complete it, the word perfect. He will... He will finish. He finishes what he starts. He will stay with it as long as you want him to. I mean, you could opt out of it, I suppose. But it's his nature, it's his name to stay with it, to do the job. 
These are two promises you should have on your phone. You should have it marked out in your Bible, promises that uh, you'll be going through something and you'll be able to point to these verses and say, no, he will not quit. He will not forsake the work of his hands. Here's another one. Here's a third promise. This is from Lamentations chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 22. <clears throat> Lamentations. Uh, most people don't read Lamentations. Lamentations is, is one depressing book. Lament means the guy's he's, he's having sorrow. It's actually Jeremiah who's he's writing it. Listen to what it says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. It's been turned into a song because it just means everything to, to us. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Do you know when he wrote this or when, the, when this was uh, first penned? He, he, he wrote it, he got it from the Spirit when the city of Jerusalem was smoldering. It had been decimated. Uh, another nation came in and totally wrecked the city because the people had forsaken the Lord, had given themselves over to idol worship and mixed religion and astrology and all kinds of stuff. And they were taking their babies down and burning them alive down in this, this valley. And, and God had forbid them to do all of that, and they just did it. They did whatever they wanted to. And so God allowed another people to come in and, and take them out of their homes and burn their houses and take them with rings in their nose and handcuffs and ropes and take them as, save, as slaves to another, to another land. And that's when he wrote this. Because God's love is steadfast, even when we're not faithful. He loves you so much that he'll discipline you. He loves you so much that he'll spank you. He loves you so much that he won't let you just live a life of sin. He will deal with you. Do you believe that kind of love? See, the, the other way of looking at it is there's a, there's a thing called sloppy agape where it just says, well, I can do whatever I want and God will love me. I don't believe that. I don't believe. I believe that he loves you so much that he'll discipline you. He'll, and that's what he did to his people here. Let's look at another one. This is Psalm 15. A powerful little psalm to put away, put away in your heart. Psalm 15 has five verses. And <clears throat> it's about abiding. And, the, and abiding and being steadfast, and, and they're really related. I mean, if you're going to abide in the Lord, it means you're committed to, to being in him and with him. And uh, abiding and steadfast are related. And the question is, who will abide in his tabernacle? Who will live close to God? Who will dwell on his holy hill? And so he says several things that, that uh, qualifies a person. He says, he that walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart has integrity. He who does not backbite with his tongue. We talked about that, that speaking against, speaking against people is going to Make it hard for you to abide close to the Lord. Nor, nor uh, him who takes up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. Here's the one I wanted to get to. He, he that swears to his own hurt and does not change. I think that's a powerful line that says, okay, I said I would do it. 
I wish I hadn't said. I mean, it's gone in a different direction than, it, than what I was expecting. But I said I would do it. And I'll do it even if it hurts me, even if it costs me. I said I would buy that. I've changed my mind. I wish I hadn't promised, but I said I would do it. I'm committed, even if it costs me. That's a powerful level of commitment that you become a man of your word, a person of your word that says, I, okay, I promised I would be there. I don't feel like being there right now, but I will be there. And the reason is, is I told you that I would, even if it hurts, even if I don't want to be there. I think God's that way. I think that's why he wants people, who, he wants to surround himself with people who feel the same way, who have the same values. That's where our fellowship is. I, um, I'm a committed person. I want to be a committed person. I want us as a, as a fellowship to enter into the value, the fruit, the quality of life that comes out of being committed, committed in our marriages, committed in our friendships, even though they'll be tested, committed to our church. That we, that the way we measure commitment to our church, and if you're part of another church, to your church, is we're first committed to the Lord, but it will show up in your attendance. It'll show up in your involvement where you actually give yourself. You become part of it. You, you contribute. And it comes to giving. I, I, I think it comes to being accountable where we open our lives and allow other people to see how we live. I think that's the kind of fellowship that means something. I want to be, be part of a church that we can commit to. I want to be with people who are committed. Don't you? Well, here's a little something. This is, a, this is an odd little ditty. Uh, I, I put this in one of my books. It's not original with me. I heard it back in about 1983, somewhere in there, 84, at a conference I went to. And I, and I don't have the original notes, so I made up my own. But it's based on an idea that I got at a Bill Gothard com, uh, conference. And it's called Budgeting Your Time. And if you're... Uh, committed to being out of debt, living debt-free. Heather and I, are, that's, our, that's been our goal. And we, we try to do that. We live debt-free. We don't want to owe, especially in this climate, we don't want to owe anybody anything. And, um, and there's ways to achieve that, but, but you have to budget your finances. I'm not a budgeter. I mean, I'm just not, uh, you know, there's, there's two kinds of people in the world, those who can count and those who can't. That's a joke. And uh, uh, anyway, Heather, she's great at budgeting. And she's made sure our cars get paid off and ahead of time and all, all that stuff. And uh, she's amazing at it. And so, and then she holds me to the budget. And so, but without a budget, I mean, if you don't have something to come back to, there's times you leave that budget, there's times you spend differently, life happens, things come up. But then you've always got something to come back to that keeps your life sane, keeps it on track. Well, the idea of budgeting time is a very novel idea. And um, uh, just so you know, I don't live this way. What, what I'm about to share with you is, is I don't live this way. <clears throat> this is an ideal. It's an idea. 
it's something that we can, we can shoot for. But let's see what happens. Uh, uh, Couture is going to put it on the screen behind me, and you'll be able to track with me on this, okay? Let's see if we can make sense of this. It's called budgeting our time. There are seven days uh, a week, 24 hours in a day. That equals 168 hours a week, and that's what we're all giving. And it starts today. Today's the first day of the week. And um, uh, what I'd like us to all do is sleep for eight hours a day for the week. And uh, so that's a lot, and, and some people don't sleep that much, and that means you're going to have some extra time left over. But uh, a healthy, generous amount of time is eight hours eight hours a night. So let's subtract 56 hours from the 168 that we started with. That leaves us with 112 hours for other essentials. Now let's budget 45 hours a week for work. And that allows also time for travel, 45 hours a week. Now, uh, I was just talking to Sam. He was on the road the other day, and he said, man, I, I'm tired. I put in 50 hours this week. I remember thinking, that's young men's hours. I mean, I remember working 50 and 70 hours a week when I was a young guy. But there's a point in time where you say there's more to life than working. I'm going to put a cap on it. I'm going to put a limit on how much I work. And you have to decide that. You have to be committed to it. Uh, in fact, uh, I was just talking to a, a guy, part of our church here, and he actually he went to his boss recently and said, I, I want to change my job. I want to I leave the position I'm in and opt for something. I want to go for something with less hours. He said, there's more to my life than this job. I've got more. He said, I, I, I want to be part of my church. There's things that I'm missing. There's things I want to be a part of. I, I also serve in my church. I want time for that. I'm taking a, a cut in pay and taking a different kind of job just because I want to limit the amount of time I spend at work. That, that blew me away. I mean, that's a level of commitment you don't hear very much about today. It's commendable. I think you have to figure it out. You have to figure out what you really want and um, maybe there's seasons where uh, you're in your season and it might be a little bit more and other times it might be a little less. And if you work for yourself, and we have a number of people who are self-employed, they work for themselves. Someone said if you work for yourself, you only have to work half days. And you get to choose which half, the first 12 hours or the second 12 hours. <laughs> well, you're going to have to decide. You're going to have to figure this out. But let's say, let's say we give 45 hours uh, a week to work, and that's with travel time. Now, let's give ourselves two hours uh, a day for eating. And some people woof their food, and, and they, it's, it's, it's gone. It's like they inhale it. It's gone. And so, but, so two hours, that's a lot. You know, you got two hours a day just for eating. But it should be enjoyed. Should, I, I, one of the blessings of the Lord is actually... Eat the fruit of your labor and actually taste the work of your hands where you actually enjoy, the, enjoy your job, but the fruit of it, you actually get to enjoy it and taste it. And that, that's, a, that's a blessing from the Lord, Solomon said. So let's go slower, and let's fast one day a week. And that's going to net us um, uh, two hours that we're going to move into another category. I think, I think we should just fast one day a week that we're not eating all the time. So um, we need at least four hours a week just for personal things, like taking a shower, uh, although there's a trend these days not to shower. 
uh, getting dressed. Takes, takes me like uh, 30 seconds to get dressed. I mean, I just don't spend any. I like the Steve Job approach to getting dressed for. He just wore the same clothing every day. Like he just went off the shelf, same turtleneck, same jeans, same shoes. I think there's something to that. But anyway, so, but you got two hours. I mean, so if you don't use it, if you don't shower every day or you don't change your, you know, spend a lot of time getting dressed, you can move that time into something else. So we have four hours a week for personal things. That leaves a total of 63 hours. Now let's subtract uh, this from the 120, uh, 112 hours for essentials. This would leave 49 hours a week to do something else with. So let's, um, right off the top, let's subtract 12 hours for Sabbath. So, so your, your, your week is built around a Sabbath, not the other way around. You don't just fit the Sabbath in. You don't take it if you choose to. Take it if you feel like it. What you do is you build your week around the Sabbath. And I, I've tested this so many different ways. If I start with a Sabbath where I'm disciplined and I say no to my work, and I say no to the stuff that goes on in my head, and, and the everyday things that I normally do, I say no to that. If I say no and I really achieve a Sabbath, my week not only goes better, but I find myself being able to say no to all kinds of things during the week that you won't have the fortitude to do unless you're saying no uh, on that first day of the week. So the, the whole idea is to build your life around one day, and then you'll have a, a balanced, ordered life. Last week, we taught about the God of order, and it really starts with ordering your day your, your week around this day. It's, it's got to be a different day than any other day. And uh, you have to figure it out. You have to, you have to uh, decide that that's what, how you're going to live. So I've given you a Sabbath day in, in this ideal uh, budget that we have. And uh, it's, uh, it's not just going to church. It's also giving yourself to deeper spiritual exercises. And includes a nap. I mean, we're going to give you a nap today. Today, nothing like a Sunday afternoon nap, I'll tell you. It's not for just old people. There's, there's something. There's, I mean, a nap, get down to the boxers kind of nap. Like, really go deep in that, in that nap. And uh, so then uh, we're going to give ourselves a full hour each day just for devotions. And, and, you know, there are people who read the minute Bible, one minute Bible, because that's all that they're going to give. And, but what if we gave you an hour a day to sit and pray and listen to God and, and, and write down what he's saying and open, open the scripture? An hour a day. I mean, that'd be an amazing part of your budget to put into there. And so uh, you've already got a Sabbath day, so this is an, and that's what that's for. And so you're, you're really able to go deep on that day. So this still leaves us 31 hours to use for other things. So um, let's give an hour a day just for reading a magazine or watching the news. I mean, that's, you shouldn't have your head buried in the sand. You should be aware of what's going on out there. You can watch a good documentary on TV and uh, use in six hours a week. And so uh, uh, that brings us down to um, 25 hours. We think everyone should be in small groups. We just, we just think there's life in it. And so uh, small group meetings are intentionally limited to two hours a, uh, a week. And even that, there's a fast or a, a, fallow, a fallow week where you have the week off. So we're only doing six back-to-back. -back. 
but there's life in it. There's life that you can't get in a regular service, and so we want everyone to be a part of that. So two hours, subtract that from the 25 or down to 23 hours. Now let's give our spouse 30 minutes of time where you say, talk to me. Tell me whatever you want to talk to me. I mean, you can go for a walk. You can go for a good brisk sit someplace and uh, sit down and talk with each other. Now, this isn't even including mealtimes, which is a great time to ask each other, how are you doing? What's happening in your life? That's a great way to, to do a meal together. But this is in addition to that. This is 30 minutes of saying, you've got my undivided attention for 30 minutes. I have done this before. I don't do it consistently, Heather could tell you. But I, 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 the, there's times I do do it. So you got a time to go sit on the porch, time to go down by the lake. We live in the most beautiful part of the, of the whole world. You get to enjoy that, go for a drive, whatever you want. You got 30 minutes. So that's a total of three and a half hours a week. That gets us down to 19 and a half hours. And so let's see what else we can do with this to say 19 plus hours. Um, let's make it a point to have someone come to our house once a week for a meal where we invite someone to come into our house for a meal. And um, we're going to do that and start at 7 o'clock and go to maybe 10, and that could be adjusted 6 to 9 or however, however you do it. But that's for conversation. I'm really trying to get to know someone else beyond your small group and beyond seeing them in church and saying hi and goodbye. You really want to enter into life. You, you have to have someone over at least once a week where you do that, and you get to do, extend hospitality. And so... Um, uh, this, this should come out of a, your eating time that's already scheduled, and so you got 16 and a half hours. So if you've got kids, you need to get down every day and get down and play with them, and you got to, you got to do their, help them with homework, and this might be two hours an evening after supper, and that would take 12 hours a week. If you don't have kids, you got time. you got time to do other things. Not bad, considering the average dad only spends 12 minutes a week with his kids. So let's work at that. And um, so we're down to uh, uh, 4.5. We're down to uh, subtracting 12 from 16. That will leave us four hours to splurge, four hours just to spend. How would you spend those four hours? Well, you got stuff. You got to mow the lawn. You got to uh, shovel snow, wash the car. There's stuff you have to do. Uh, but you also have time to take a hike. You have time to go to the gym. You got time for frisbee, frisbee up in the field. You got time to just go to the library. Uh, you got time. You can squander it any way you like. So let's look at this. Let's do a summary on this budget. So you've all slept for eight hours every night. You've had 45 hours to work, and uh, you've had a meal every, every day, except you've decided to fast, and so you're, but you're eating slowly, you're tasting your food. You've had a nice shower every day, time to get dressed. You've had a, a, a restful Sabbath day to build your week around. You've had time each day for devotions. You've watched a bit of news, a bit of TV. Uh, you've been to a small group. You've had 30 minutes a day just to talk with your significant uh, most significant person in your life, and, and you've uh, 
had someone over for a meal at least once a week. You got down to play with the kids. You've done stuff with them uh, several hours each evening. And you still have time to squander at the end of it. Isn't that amazing? I mean, there's a, I, what I want to achieve from this, because I, I don't live this way, just you know that. Um, but there's a myth that says you don't have time to spend with the Lord, and you don't have time to keep a Sabbath, and you don't have time to, to do, but you do. It's, it's in the budgeting. It's deciding on the front end. It's committing for better, for worse. And let's say life happens, things happen. Uh, a car breaks down, and there's time spent doing something you didn't expect, and, and uh, that happens. But then you've got something to come back to, something that's not movable, something you've committed to doing. By the way, God doesn't promise your car won't break down, but he'll wait with you while the tow truck comes. That's just, he's steadfast. He's just that way. Uh, some, of the, some of the extra time may be spent just waiting for your wife. You know, it's called the long goodbye. You're ready to go out the door. You say goodbye to your friends, and she still has some things to say that before that goodbye happens. There's a long goodbye in every day, and so that, that's where the, if you don't have kids, that's where the extra time could be spent. <clears throat> it's going to be a cold soup for lunch today. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be beautiful if life actually worked this way, where you punched it in, like, like cruise control, and I just happened the way. I mean, you sit down at the beginning of your week and say, this is the way of my week. I don't think that's achievable, but at the same time, if you don't, your, your commitment should show up in terms of priorities of where you spend time, money, and attention. Are you committed? Are you a committed kind of person? God is, and life starts to make sense when we say, this is, this is how I'm going to live my life. This is how I choose to live my life. Yeah, let's stand together. Many of you are already committed. This isn't to get you to become more committed. But I think it does confirm the value of what you're doing. I think it, I think it affirms that as a choice that you've made. And I love it. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. There's people who you've maybe thought of church like any other organization, that it's your decision to, to attend and... and uh, but you realize there's, you're not satisfied. You want to get involved. You want to be part of it. Um, there's ways to do that. I've written a little book called The Commitment. It's on the Welcome Center wall. If you want to get one, take it home and see what, what we're looking for in terms of commitment. But I think this is worthwhile committing to. But it really begins with you committing to the Lord. Let's pray along that line. Father, we want to commit ourselves to you afresh. We know a life of leisure is an empty life. We know a life that's just full of work is an empty life. God, help us to find a balance. Help us to live a full life, a life that we can look back on without any regrets, a life we can look back on and say, that was worth it. That was worth it all. I have friends. I have family. I have my health. 
comfortable financially and my life works and it makes sense. God, help me to live a, a kind of life that works. Teach me how to be committed like you. And I say yes and amen. Amen.